This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. I'm Scott Greenberg, also known as The Vine Guy. In this podcast, we'll delve into the world of wine with winemakers, wine producers, wine professionals, and wine lovers. We'll even sample a few wines and share which ones we think are worth your while. In this week's episode, I talk with Jim Clark, the South African Wines Ambassador. He tells me what makes South African wines special and how they taste different from other wines. So, which ones should you try? Well, we'll talk about it. Enjoy the conversation with Jim Clark. Now, Jim is a skilled writer. He's penned countless articles in leading publications about the wine and beer industry, which is pretty cool. He has previous experience as a sommelier and beverage director, and he has extensive knowledge in international wine arena. But what's really cool about Jim is he holds a master's degree in music composition from the Royal Academy of Music. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. That's, that's pretty cool. But his story really begins in 2001 when he ventured back to the States, and he began waiting tables at Isabella's in New York City. And that's where his love of wine caught fire. Jim, I'm going to let you take it from here and tell us a little bit about what happened at Isabella's that turned you into who you are today. Well, um, as you said, I had a degree in, in classical music, and uh, like most people with performing arts degrees, you end up working in restaurants when you yeah, come you to New York. To, yeah, uh, <laughs> not quite that level of restaurant. We, you know, we tried to upsell. Would you like wine with that? Was more of what we did, but. Uh, uh, I was very lucky at the time. So Isabella's was part of the Beer Guest Restaurant Group. And at the time, the wine program was run by a, a master of sommelier named Greg Harrington. And so they had a really great educational program. And the kind of music I was doing, I mean, if you want to make a living from it, usually what you do is you become a professor. And then you have your, you, you know, that's your, your base income. You can write in the summer between uh, semesters, things like that. And I wasn't really in, interested in that academic side. So I needed some sort of... Um, sustainable day job, I guess. And um, wine really caught my attention. I think having lived in Europe for about five years, I had a sense of the kind of history and the the sense of place that comes with, with the wine. And so I really took to it. So in 2003, I uh, started taking some uh, real courses outside of the, the restaurant company um, programs. And there was a writing contest that the Sommelier Association sponsored. It was actually something put together with Wines of Spain. And I applied what I knew about writing music to writing about wine. And I won this essay contest. And on the strength of that, a few things happened. One, I started writing for a website called Star Chefs, uh, first as an intern and then as a, a kind of a columnist. Um, I got to go to Spain as part of the trip. And the guy who had organized the Wines of Spain trip also worked with Wines of South Africa. There wasn't really a full-time uh, Wines of South Africa presence in, uh, in the States at the time. So this was their part-time consultant. So we became good friends on that trip, and he started introducing me to South African wine, and it started using me as a point man. So, Jim, can you go arrange this uh, seminar? Can you do this presentation? Things like that. Um, to the point that even though I was working in a Japanese restaurant and then an Italian restaurant, I was kind of known as that South African sommelier, even though I'm American. But it just became a specialty. And about, well, about six years ago, the restaurant I was working for said um, they wanted me to do a lot of non-wine things. And really commit to the restaurant, you know, at least 70 hours a week. And there wasn't a big pay raise coming with that. So I thought it was time to get out of restaurants. And very fortunately, Wines of South Africa was looking to take someone on. That's pretty cool. Now, one of the things that you kind of skipped over in this writing contest 
you you did win it, yep. but you beat out two hundred sommeliers. Yep, and so, I was I was just a waiter at the time. Yeah, so. just a waiter at the time, but a very talented waiter, and evidently a very talented writer. So here you are. You're now involved with wines of South Africa. A lot of people don't know about the wines of South Africa. I mean, we, you know, when we think of New World these days, we, you know, of course, think of Chile and Argentina, of course, the United States. And it's interesting because South Africa kind of really has a foot in both Old World and New World. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, th there's not much awareness here in the U.S. because there's no historical connections between South Africa and the U.S. The, we obviously have a connection with the other um, the South American countries, um, Australia, not so much a connection, but they put so much into the market uh, in early days. Most South African exports, well, not most, but the uh, one quarter of them, the, the largest portion of exports, goes to the UK because they have that strong historical connection. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but but you're right. It, it's a little bit older, a little bit new world, and we actually know the birthday of South African wine. So when we say old, we know exactly how old. It's uh, 360 years because on February 2nd, 1659, the commander of the Cape Colony that eventually became Cape Town mm -hmm. actually wrote in his diary, today, praise be to God, wine was made for the first time from Cape <laughs> Grapes. So, okay, so definitely older than the wine industry here in our beloved United right. States. Yeah. So they really have been at this a while. Definitely. Why do we not know about it? So much. I mean, it is gaining popularity. Clearly, over the last 10 years, I've seen South African wines popping up on wine lists and on real t retail shelves. And I'm going to guess that's probably thanks in large part to your efforts. Uh, well, I, I hope so. We, we, we're we quite small in the um, marketing body game. You know, the, um, our, our budget is quite small. You have the exchange rate to deal with. But, but we definitely try to make a difference. And we're definitely seeing um, people kind of catch on. It's great for, for wine drinkers these days who really want to explore but at the same time, it can be, it's not a big step to try a South African wine because we're talking about grape varieties you've already heard. Uh, you know, it's Cabernet, it's Chenin Blanc, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay. Um, so it's maybe new that it's South Africa, but at least it's something you've got a, a, a benchmark for. You can say, well, I'm, I'm, I like Cabernet, I'll try a South African Cabernet. And some of these other areas, I love them, but uh, if you say, okay, I didn't know they made wine in Hungary, and what is harsh levelu? How do you say that word? It can be a bit of a jump for maybe the average wine drinker. So you're, you're talking about South Africa, which is a huge country. Mm -hmm. um, are there are there different regions where wine is being grown? Are there what, what are the different areas in South Africa where the, the the wine vineyards are gaining some popularity? Well, the the main region is that corner down by by Cape Town, what they call the Western Cape, and for very good reason, it has a different climate than the rest of South Africa and really the rest of Africa, and all owes itself to the South Atlantic. You know, the South Atlantic is churning in a uh, counterclockwise direction. And it's bringing these cold waters, cold currents, cold winds across that corner where Cape Town is. Uh, it, it makes it basically what we would call a Mediterranean climate, whereas if you get inland, then you get that more typical um, African, you know, the savannas and the things that we think of when we, when we see uh, National Geographic things about Africa. So that corner has that Mediterranean climate, and you're not going to find that again until you, in Africa, do you get all the way to the Mediterranean. So, you know, as long as we're talking about the Mediterranean climate, is it is it similar? And I'm reaching here, but is it similar to say the Le Minstrel in that yeah. blows into the the Rhone Valley kind of a Mediterranean thing? The difference is the Mistral tends to be a bit warmer wind. Um, okay. So this is a cold wind, and um, which and is counterintuitive if you think about yeah, Africa. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's coming because it's coming from the ocean. And if you think of where those winds and currents coming from, well, next stop is Antarctica. Right. 
right? Because they're coming from the south and from the southeast, and that's why they cool off that that corner. So there is little, some pockets of vineyards grown up in the Northern Cape, um, mainly for what we'd call kind of bulk production. And there's a few wineries out in the Eastern Cape that are taking advantage of very high elevations up in the mountains to get uh, a balanced temperature. But really the Western Cape is where, uh, uh, well, more than 95% of the wine industry is. And certainly all the classic properties going back to the 1650s. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I've, I've done a little bit of reading on Stellenbosch and, and the, is it called Bot River? Uh, uh, Botriver Bot- or uh, Bot River, I guess would Bot be when you say it in English. Yeah. And Swartland. Swartland, yeah. Swartland. And, and so these are very different regions in and of themselves. Yeah. Based on their soil composition and microclimates and what's being grown there. Uh, well, it, because of a lot of different climates, lots of different things. What, what's happened is when, um, when the continents were separating, you can imagine the plates of South America and Antarctica pushed against that corner of Africa, and they put up what's called the Cape Fold Mountains. So that carves everything up. So if you're near the water and you don't have a mountain between you and the water, you're a lot cooler than if you're inland, and you have the and your and your um, and that cold air is being blocked by the mountains. So Botrevera, for example, is quite cool. It's down on the coast, on the, the southeast coast, and you're getting that um, cold air directly onto the vineyards. Swartland is on the is more inland, and it's on the west coast of that kind of corner of Africa. It's quite a bit warmer because it's inland and uh, you don't have those direct winds as much. Very cool. And so, um, do they have a wine industry in in terms of how I think of it domestically here, where I can just drive down the road, knock on a door, or there's a tasting room? Absolutely. Okay. They do. Um, so they wouldn't be surprised if I just drove up and said, "Hey." <laughs> South African wine tourism is huge, and I think they do it better than than almost anybody. I think. Part of it is their regulations are a little bit looser than, for example, in Napa, you're not really allowed to have a, you know, a restaurant on site or things that are not directly related to your wine production. So you can kind of have more fun. Like if you bring your family to uh, Fairview in Parl, that you can visit, you can do the wine tasting. You can also taste cheese because they do goat cheese. You can look at the goats that climb this tower that's kind of the most visited spot in the winelands. And then there's a pizzeria, there's a restaurant, there's all sorts of things you can do on site with the whole family. So the tourist options are fantastic. That's cool. Hey, kids, go play with the goats. Mom and yeah. dad are going to have a little shout Exactly. <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun. Um, what What do you think are the most popular African wines that we're seeing right now in the U.S. market? And, and, and why do you think that's the case? Well, I think um, what South Africa has, because of all that varied landscape we talked about, it's a very diversified basket of offerings. So the most planted grape is Chenin Blanc, okay. but that's still only 18% of the vineyards. Uh, compared to, for example, New Zealand, you know, we talk about New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Well, that is three quarters of their vineyards. So when we say that's their dominant grape, it dominates. It really is. Yeah. So it, we see a movement with a lot of different categories, but Chenin Blanc is finally taking the lead. And I think that's, that's the, a smart choice. We do need to give American wine drinkers some place to uh, try out South African wines, and then they'll explore from there. Other, if they say, well, we have all these different things, people don't know where to start, and they uh, go to something that they feel like they can understand more more easily. So when somebody does a word association game with me, and they say South Africa, the first thing I say is Pinotage. Yep. Well, we pushed Pinotage really hard in the past. It's a uniquely South African grape. It was developed by crossing Pinot Noir and Cinso back in 1925. The challenge with Pinotage is it, like, like one of its parents, Pinot Noir, it's a challenging grape to grow. And to have it as your signature variety when a lot of, means a lot of people are going to make it and not know how to, not know how or not take the time to grow it properly. So a lot of the Pinotage that came across 15 years ago had a mixed reputation. 
nowadays, since we're not putting such a spotlight on it, it's being allowed to grow properly, and the people who are making it are very serious about it. I, I like to say now, if you walk into an American shop and there's a Pinotage on the shelf, it's the most heavily vetted wine in the shop. Because producers who are making it are making it because they believe in it, not because it's a marketing uh, demand. The importer who brings it in knows they have a headwind. Not, I have to say, not with the American wine drinker, but with the American trade. Because they remember 15, 20 years ago having a a bad one, and they've written off the category. Right, yeah. It's a real challenge. Um, When I do consumer events, if I'm out tasting at a wine festival or something like that, people come up and ask for Pinotage. When I do something with a trade, they say, oh, here it is, the Pinotage. Yeah, well, guilty yeah. as charged. Okay, you know, yeah. Right? yeah. Huh? So these Pinotage, for lack of a better word, are not your father's Pinotage. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the big thing I, that's changed, aside from people specializing in it, if you think of the styles of wine we were drinking, not just from South Africa, but from around the world 15, 20 years ago, lots of oak, lots of alcohol, lots of extraction, these very big, dense, powerful wines. And as uh, we've moved as a as wine drinking culture has moved to a more medium body, you know, we still like a big powerful wine now and then, but sometimes it's nice to have something that doesn't, you know, hit you in the face every time you, you drink it. That suits Pinotage a lot more. I mean, its parents are both grapes that, I mean, Pinot Noir is not a big burly grape either. Neither is since so, as we're going to see. That's right. Um, so trying to make something that was really big and extracted because that was the market demand from a, ga- from a grape that when you do that, you can get, you, you're extracting sometimes the negative aromas rather than the positives was a real challenge make a medium-bodied, more fresh style of Pinotage, you can do a lot more justice to the grape. So we've talked about Chenin Blanc, talked about Pinotage. What else is on the horizon for South African wines? What are you excited about? Um, well, I love bubbles. and well, we're, who doesn't? We're in good ch- exactly, yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, and that's the fastest-growing category in South Africa right now. The um, production of traditional method sparkling wine in South Africa is doubling every five years. And they have a special wow. designation for it. It's called Method Cap Classique. And they're the first New World country to create a designation for their traditional method sparkling wines that doesn't try to steal Champagne's thunder. So well, they, we, they never called it, you know, uh, South African Champagne or something like that. It's Method Cap Classique. So what is that? So they follow basically all the rules of Champagne. Okay. Um, I mean, the term is just, it, it's still French words, actually, but mm-hmm. it means the classic method wine from the Cape. Well, so pretty straightforward. Pretty self-explanatory, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, the laws or the regulations are a little bit looser than they would be in Champagne. So you are allowed to use different grape varieties. But most of the production, especially most of the production that's exported, is the classic Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, um, or a combination you know, thereof. There are some Chenin Blancs done as Method Cap Classique, sort of like a Loire Cremant would be. kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Ken Forrester does a great one called Sparkle Horse that's really fun. That's one of the ones that you can find in the American market. Um, Love the name already. Yeah. It's a tribute to the fact that it's sparkling and then um, Shannon's history in South Africa as the workhorse grape. Very cool. So, yeah. so another thing that we're seeing catch fire here in the United States are wines in cans. Is there yep. any movement in South Africa to sort of see different types of uh, enclosures or, or bottlings? There's a little bit. The, the challenge with cans in particular is that usually it involves a really ma- uh, big production to make the cans pay for themselves. So the only South African brand that I know of that's, that's done cans for export is actually exporting the wine uh, in, in tanker here and canning it here. And that's actually done by some guys locally here in D.C. They, really? It's a great story. It's these two American students who were over there. They met studying abroad in 2014 in South Africa. And when they came home, they said, we want to start a, a wine company. 
and they named the wine company after this dog, Lubanzi. So they had gone on a hike together, and this dog's gig was to basically beg from travelers who were doing this hike back in like a 10-day hike back and forth. So it followed them through the course of this trip, and you know, every time they saw a local, they'd say, oh, I see you have Lubanzi with you. And they're like, oh, the dog? Yeah, well, he's been following us, so we've been feeding him, you know? <laughs> and then when Smart they, dog. Yeah, exactly. And then when they got to the final town, the dog found someone else to follow back on the route back. So they've been making a couple wines uh, for a few years and doing a, a really great job. Very, you know, they do a Shannon and they do a red blend. They don't try to offer everything for everyone. They just try to offer two really good wines. And they decided they wanted to do to canned wine. So they talked to people over there and they said it's not set up for doing it. But they said, well, we're still going to buy the exact same wine. We're going to bring it over here and offer it in cans here. And they just introduced that um, geez, just in the past few months. I think just in time for the spring, summer uh this year. That's exciting. Fourth of July is coming up. Exactly. Right. You've got picnic yep. picnics and you just throw a couple cans of South African wine in. Perfect. Now, speaking of wine, you have brought in four beautiful, beautiful I mean, this the, the studio right now just smells like a wine. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is my favorite smell, I'm not gonna lie. I think that's great. So what I'd like you to do is if you wouldn't mind, I, I see that we have bubbles. Yep. You know, we have a, we have a glass of bubbles. So if you wouldn't mind, let's uh would you mind just walking us through the tasting here? Oh, I'm glad to. Yeah, thanks. So um, we're starting off with bubbles. Yay. And this is the Simon Sig. So Simon Sig is actually the first uh, company in South Africa to make a traditional method sparkling wine. And if you look at the label, they called it Kapsafunkel in 1971, which in Afrikaans means Cape Bubbles. Uh, they kind of thought that this would become the, the category designation for, for traditional method. But um, fortunately, um, saner heads prevailed. And when the time when apartheid was ending and export markets were opening up, they came up with the uh, method cap classique designation. But uh, Simon Sig, never, they've, they've kept it as part of their brand, and they've been one of the specialists and leaders with the category. This is um, about 50-50. I think it's 53% Pinot, and then the rest is Chardonnay, and gets uh, around 18 months on the lees to talk about the technical process where after the bubbles have formed in the bottle, you leave it on the lees and get some of that texture that makes champagne so different from other sparkling wines. Wow, I just love the nose on this. Mm -hmm. it's, I'm picking up... Like a little bit of tangerine, mm -hmm. um, um, nectarine, and this really cool, almost like an, a white fig note in there. It's just beautiful, and it's yep. so um, well-balanced yeah. in, in the mouth. And the bubbles are they're tiny, not that there's you know big, huge bubbles that you can sometimes get. They're just really... Uh, has a lot of finesse in this wine. Yeah, very smooth mousse, and I think it's got just enough of that sort of biscuity flavor that comes from the the lees that uh, makes champagne or makes traditional method bubbly uh, gives gives it an extra dimension. Yeah, yeah, it's just beautiful. Now I notice I'm looking at the bottle. It's a 2016. Yeah, are a lot of the the sparklers being produced in South Africa vintage or yeah kind of split? So vintage doesn't necessarily have that um, connotation that it has in champagne. They have much more consistent vintages because it's warmer, so they don't have that uh, need to always mix vintages to create a consistent product because they can kind of do it year after year. So uh, they regularly do a vintage as their, well, quote-unquote, entry-level method cap classique. Man, I would love to have this with a plate of oysters. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. this is just, it's, it's got great acidity. I love the crispness. There's sort of a green apple pop in there. Yep. That's, that's beautiful. All right, what are we, what's next on the agenda here? So, well, we talked Shannon, so we definitely have to try of Shannon. Of course. And um, this is from um, a young lady named Jocelyn Hogan. And I'm, let's see, this, I think she got started in the, well, after 2010 at the very least, so relatively new brand. And uh, she's 
sourcing fruit for this from some farms up in Swartland. So Swartland's a really interesting area. Before 2008, it really wasn't much talked about. It, historically, they were growing grapes there for centuries, but in the 1950s, it had kind of fallen, it had become a bit of a backwater. It had been supplying like the fortified wine market, and as fortified wines became less popular, no one ripped out the vines really, but they just sold to the local co-op. What happened uh, starting in 2000, but then really in 2008, was young winemakers going up there and saying to these farmers, you've got really great old vines here. You're probably going to rip them out because old vines produce less. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pay you more for these grapes um, if you keep that in the ground. Because when I bottle them separately by themselves, they're going to be brilliant. And so that really woke up the world to the Swartland. And Hogan is um, kind of, we now become one of the people who's exploring that area. So the 2016 Hogan, Shannon Blanc. Yep. From Swartland. Um, I don't know how to really describe this wine. It's like. My mouth is happy and confused. <laughs> it's just all at once. What I love, and I think we'll find this in the, the next white wine as well, is the interest in creating really beautiful uh, mouthfeel in the wines. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they're aromatic too, but I think South African winemakers really do a great job putting texture in the wine so it just feels great to have the wine in your mouth. You know, the, the texture is the first thing that you, I, the first thing I notice um, when, it, when I put this in my mouth, and then it's almost the fruit secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, which is unusual for me, unusual for drinking uh, Chenin Blanc. I'm used to more Chenin Blancs being, you know, kind of uh, attacking you with fruit, and then you kind of sort of think about the mouthfeel later. This right. one's just the opposite, and it's and it's beautiful. I mean, there's just a lot of good fruit in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of stone orchard going on, uh, but it's that, that mouthfeel that really grabs you. Yeah, I uh, agree. Up front, just a, it's a, it's a beautiful wine. Yeah, and I think that's pretty universal to um – Maybe not Sauvignon Blanc in South Africa so much, but definitely the Chardonnays and the Chenins, you know, that mouthfeel is just a real priority. And then as far as the overall kind of flavor profile, this being Swartland, Swartland to me tends to be a more mineral expression mm-hmm. of, um, if you like using the word minerality, right. <laughs> um, for Chenin. And then if you have can contrast that with, say, Stellenbosch, you'll see a bit more overt fruit expression, you know, sure. just a different balance between the two. You know, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, on sort of on that finish, it's got kind of got that slaty whetstone yep. finish. It's just, yeah, it's, it's you know, really cool thing to have in a Shannon. Yeah, I'm absolutely. really excited about this next wine. Uh, I don't know anything about it other than I can't stop smelling it. <laughs> just, the, this one, it's a beautiful um, wine. Yeah, this comes from kind of two traditions that have been strong in South Africa colliding. This is a um, Duncan Savage's uh, white blend, so it's called the Savage White. It's the 2016, and the first few vintages of this were a blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon, uh, which is you know a white Bordeaux blend. Sure. Not a blend that's very popular, but a very interesting one. Um, and one that has deep roots in South Africa. Semillon, like Shannon, was one of the first varieties they had there. And in like the mid-19th century, up to 93% of South Africa's vineyards were, were planted to Semillon. Blanc, to Semillon. So uh, this in this vintage, he's also added some Chenin to it. And the thing that's happening in South Africa with Chenin is Chenin is often grown in warmer areas in South Africa, when, which from a sommelier point of view, you think of the Loire Valley first, and you think, oh, it's a cool climate grape. It likes that northern France, and it's got that super high acidity. Yeah. But to a South African winemaker, you plant Chenin in the places where you want to grow white grapes, but it's too warm for Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc because— it won't keep that super high acidity, that teeth-rattling acidity, but it'll okay. keep well-balanced acidity. So here you get some spine created by the Chenin Blanc and that acidity, and then you layer on Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon to get textures and flavors. Um, this wine, I don't have uh, a text sheet for it, but I know it does get some new oak, which helps pop that toasty character sure. on the Semillon. Yeah. 
and that's part of that beautiful nose you're talking about. Well, I got to tell you, I'm, 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 the thing I think I love about this wine, the wine, the, the word that comes to mind for me when I, I put this in my mouth, and by the way, I swallowed this one, mm. <laughs> didn't spit it, uh, is versatility. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just thinking, I'm, I would love to have this with roast chicken. No, no, wait, swordfish. No, 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 maybe a, a, you know, a grilled pork chop. No, wait. So there's yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. This this wine would really go well with, and I'm just thinking, uh, uh, you know, if you if you had one wine in the the portfolio to sort of keep in your fridge for when friends pop over, this is a yeah. It's gonna it's gonna offer something for whatever you're eating. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Just, and that's what we're seeing. I think also with with the Shenan too is, um, and this is a trick I did back when I was a, a sommelier. You know, the holidays would come around, and someone would say, "Hey, I want uh, I got 40 people coming over, maybe for a barbecue or a restaurant." It was like the holidays. Uh, I want to have one white and one red because I don't want complicated wine service. I'd say, okay, we're going to do a South African Shenan as your white. And people would say, well, why? And I said, well, what happens if you serve Chardonnay? Oh, well, people love Chardonnay. And I said, do they? I was like, oh, no, some people hate it. You know, and same with, same with Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, right. But um, a wine, I think actually either of these two, the, the Shenan or the blend in this case, enough body for the Chardonnay drinker because I think that's where their priority is, that mouthfeel we talked yep. about. And then aromatically generous, which is what Sauvignon Blanc drinkers want. And they both have freshness. So that's what Pinot Grigio drinker wants. So where that Venn diagram meets, that's where a lot of South African Shenan lands. And that's, I think, why we're seeing a lot of growth with South African Shenan with Americans is, is they're, they're introdu- getting introduced to it that way, and then they can explore it. That is a beautiful description. That really is. Thank you. Oh, did you make that up just all by yourself? That's, right? that's one of mine. Yeah, I'll <laughs> okay. take credit. <laughs> well, we can't finish this without finishing with a red wine. Now, Absolutely. The, the red wine I'm looking at. I immediately think Rhone Valley. Yeah. Right? You know, so yeah. Sinso. Sinso, yeah. So um, really interesting variety in South Africa. We already touched on Pinotage. This is one of Pinotage's parents. Right. And because it was such a, sort of like Shannon, it was such a workhorse uh, for the industry during the 20th century. When the 90s came and things changed a lot, a lot of Sinso was ripped out. But there's some really beautiful old vine vineyards there. And one of the things that's really interesting with today's young winemakers is they're going back to the the 20th century, and a lot of a lot of dynamic changes happened in the wine industry in the 1990s. But some babies were thrown out with the bathwater, and I think Sinso is one of them. It's less than two percent of South Africa's vineyards today, but there's people doing very exciting things with it. Wow, incredibly light color. Yeah, I mean, incredibly light. If I were tasting this blind, I would say it it looks like a Pinot, mm-hmm. drinks a little bit like a Primitivo. Okay. You know, yeah, sort of, you know, that, that sort of, sort of, of the, 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 the spiciness on the nose. Yep. yep. Um, now, I haven't actually put it in my mouth yet, but it sort of smells like that Primitivo. Um, uh-huh. Just beautiful, though. Wow. Wow. Didn't spit that one either, did you? No. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing we have Metro here in D.C. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's something special. That's got a beautiful, fl- yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. I mean, so this is... um, this is an old property, actually, Natty Valley. Um, but I think for a long time they were not really in production, and the, the the latest generation, Alex, has decided that he wanted to revive the family's wine in, wine uh, business, and he fell in love with this variety, and he really just um, rides his bike around, like <laughs> tracking down. Like he's actually told me, he's like, I was stopped by a vineyard, and I saw that, that that's Sinso there, and he then went and talked to the farmer and said, Hey, can I buy some of your Sinso? And the one we're, we're tasting sources from five different vineyards, four or five different vineyards from different areas. 
But then if you're in South Africa, hopefully these will, will come over to our market soon. He has like one that's just from Darling, just from one, you know, single vineyard examples. And you can really see how Sinso expresses all these different soil types and growing conditions and has so much personality. Now, is this, um, is this, are these old vines? I mean, you mentioned that you know, yeah, so some most of these, these plantings are pretty old. Yeah. So old vines in South Africa, the official kind of cutoff would be 35 years. So the importance with old vines is one of the things that they used to like about Sinso, and this is true with Shannon too, is it produced a lot of grapes. But the more grapes each vine carries, you can think you're kind of diluting the character that's going into each bunch. So you want to find a natural way to lower those, those yields, the amount of like tons of grapes you get per, per acre. So the best way to do that naturally is to have the vine do it for you. So sometimes that means dry farming. So it's not irrigated. So you're not getting that extra water into the grape. Mm -hmm. um, old vines is, is another big part of it. So the older vines naturally produce less, but the quality is usually um, more consistent. They have more reserves in their root systems. So they survive drought and different and the different seasonal variations better. And they're just kind of more stable that way. So um, now that I'm drinking it, so I said it, it looks like a Pinot, mm -hmm. smells like a Primitivo. Okay. And and I'm trying to equate this with something our listeners can can relate to. Okay. Because, you know, when, when we say Sinso from South Africa, I'm going to guess a lot of people haven't had that. Yeah, that's a, there's not much context right? for it. Right? And so uh, to me, this is a sexier version of a Dry Creek Valley Zin. Ooh, okay. You know, it just, it seems to have... Um, not that Dry Creek Valley Sins don't have character. This right. just seems to have a, a different level or layer. Now, it doesn't have that peppery note, um, you know, sort of that powerful peppery note that you associate with Zinfandel. This is much more feminine yeah. uh, uh, than that style of wine. But it, it's just beautiful. It, yeah. it really is. It's just got that beautiful cherry and berry and um, very expressive. And then it's got this kind of underlying bramble and, and, and uh, earthiness to it that just is um, probably due to the old vines, I, I would imagine, but yeah. just uh, a beautiful wine. What, what would you pair with this? Probably, I mean, it's not too tannic. So, I mean, it could even go with some, um, like, uh, some fish dishes. Right. Um, there's a, a great fish uh, uh, called snook in South Africa. It's, oh, it's I love a, snook. Yeah, so um, it's very popular. It's kind of a mackerel -y sort of fish. Yeah. It's pretty good. This, this would go very well with that. Um, so uh, those kind of, you know, semi-oily fishes would work really well. But it's going to work with pork and chicken. I guess I think it's another one of those kind of flexible ones like uh, well, like Pinot Noir often is on the red side. Yeah, I think, you know, this would be kind of cool with tuna poke. That sounds great. Actually, yeah. <laughs> let's let's yeah. go get some. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I have poke once a week at least, so there we go. Well, I would try it with that. And yeah. I got, and so, Jim, thank you so much for coming in and bringing these extraordinary wines out. You know, just as we wrap up, would you mind just once again just taking us through the names of the wines and uh, just so the people that are listening can get a chance to jot them down. And by the way, we'll also have these on the uh, Podcast One website. So if they want, Perfect. they can go on and also yeah. find them there. Right. So our, our bubbly, our Method Cap Classique was the Simon Sig uh, Kapsafunkel, um, 2016. Then we did a Chenin Blanc from Hogan, and that's also 2016. We are, our white blend was from Duncan Savage. Oh, or I guess 2016 is our vintage today, isn't it? Yeah, so that's a 2016 as well. That's a blend of Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon, and Chenin Blanc. And then finally, we actually had a 2017 for our red, and that's the Natty Valley Cinso. So, Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Today. Thanks for it's having me. It's been a real pleasure, a real treat to taste these wines with you. Glad you enjoyed them. Thanks so much for listening to The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. 
Follow me on Twitter at The Vine Guy and be sure to catch my Wine of the Week segments on Fridays on WTOP and on WTOP.com. Sarah Beth Hensley produced this episode. Music for this episode is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, drink well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.